1: What's good, y'all, and welcome to In the Deep, a deep league-focused fantasy baseball podcast, part of the PitcherList Podcast Network. My name is Jordan White, and I'm joined here once again by my good friend and co-host, Christopher Schwebzy Weber. Schwebzi, how you doing this week, buddy?
2: Hi, friends. I'm good. And you know what, Jordan? Frankly, I'm, I'm kind of sick of this. I'm, I'm sick of the, the onus always being on me to, to do things and be active and have things going on in my life so that I can provide 30 seconds of content at the start of every episode. What if I haven't done 30 seconds of content worth of stuff this week, Jordan?
1: I mean, I suppose we'll just skip right to the deep dives. I'm I'm Schwebzy, you don't, you don't have to do the work if you don't want to. Do you, under, do you understand
2: how inactive and what and antisocial I would be if I didn't have to provide those 30 seconds of content every week? Please Schwebzy, enlighten me as to what you did this week. <laughs> I would be recording this from bed under a blanket because I would have never left that cozy spot when I woke up this morning. I work from home now. I can do it. I could just stay in bed the whole the whole time, the whole week. The whole Honestly,
1: month. The blanket fort sounds very nice though, I'm not gonna lie. When was the last time you built a blanket fort? That's a real question. Every night.
2: Do you actually I don't, is I, it, I don't is it, feel is I don't feel I I don't feel safe under a standard blanket arrangement. It needs to be in a fort configuration. Must be in for it. Monsters will get me.
1: No toes poking out? Anything like that? They're going to get you? Nothing. Tuck, tuck the arms in. Tuck them in. Tuck them in. All right. So, let's start with young Mr. Schweberton here and go into our first deep dive. Schwebzy, please enlighten me and tell me a bit more about someone you actually covered earlier this year in our preseason episodes, I believe. Uh, Mr. Brian Bale.
2: Schweberton is like... The way less sexy, way more
1: nerdy Bridgerton. Yes, no one gets laid. I mean, no one gets There's, laid in Bridgerton either, do they? Is it all just implied?
2: I don't know, but I I do know that in Schweberton there are no attractive people.
1: That's not true. Uh, Chris, except Christine, my wife. Yeah, say Christine's there.
2: <laughs> all right, <laughs> Brian Bayo. <The>, I'm I'm. <laughs> I'm I'm cheating here. This is what happens when we record at like 2 a.m. It goes off the rails real quick. It's fine, but fine. Anyways, I'm uh I'm cheating here slightly, which we would never never cheat here on in the deep. We would never break our own arbitrary rules. But uh, I'm doing a deep dive on a player who I've already technically kind of done a deep dive on before, although I was limited to two minutes when when I did that. Uh, that player is Brian Bayo. Our regular listeners might remember me talking about Bayo way back in March in our off-season starting pitcher preview episode with super special guest star and friend of the podcast, Mikey Ahedo. And for those of you who aren't loyal, first of all, we know who you are. And second of all, in that episode, what <laughs> what Jordan and I did was we took ADP ranges. So, for example, like 300 to 350 and we would each choose one pitcher in that ADP range, and then we s- sort of competed uh, for for Aheto's attention to try to convince our, our guest that our player was the better bet this year and was in for a bigger year. This was actually probably uh, the most fun pair of players that we talked about in retrospect, because I, I went with Brian Bayo and Jordan chose one of his favorite offseason targets, Braxton Garrett. We're, we're, we're actually going to be getting a little bit of deja vu here this episode because I'm doing my deep dive on Bayo and Jordan's going to talk about Braxton Garrett a little bit later on, spoiler alert, uh, because both of those guys are sub 20% right now and neither of them should be, probably. So Bayo had a late start to his season this year as he opened the year on the IL, but he's been kind of flying under the radar since making his debut six weeks ago. Likely because his initial couple of starts were kind of duds, and I, I think that's going a long way towards depressing his value right now. It's actually, uh, funnily enough, that is similar to how his debut went last year. Bayo's whole thing last year was that he had three bad starts in his initial exposure to the majors, and after that, put up a 3.18 ERA with a 3.52 XFIP, and he had the peripherals to support that sparkling run prevention. The negatives were that he walked too many players, his home run prevention was screaming regression in a bad way, and his hits allowed were screaming regression in a good way. So where do we stand now this year? Starting with that run prevention we talked about for Bayo, after his initial couple of rough starts coming off the IL, this year we're looking at 5 starts of a 2.57 ERA, and a 3.54 XFIP. Now, if you remember that XFIP is basically identical to his really strong run from last year. During this stretch, he got one layup matchup in Cleveland, but he also had to face Toronto, the Angels, Atlanta, and Seattle, who represent the second, 13th, 16th, and 18th best offenses in baseball against righties. It's not the most brutal of schedules outside of Toronto. But honestly, taming the Blue Jays' offense is impressive, and at this point in time, he hasn't given up more than three earned runs since his first start of the season way back on April 17th, and he's on a five-start streak of not giving up more than two earned runs and striking out at least five batters. I would take that from just about any one of my pitchers in in this current pitching environment, let alone someone rostered in under 20% of leagues. I mentioned that last year Bayo walked too many batters. Well, in this year's hot streak, he is walking 7.6% of the batters he faces, which compared to last year's hot streak, he put up a a walk rate of 9.3%. So he's walking significantly fewer batters right now, even while his strikeout rate has gone up. With his strikeouts going up and his walks going down, his K-walk minus rate uh, his K percentage minus walk percentage has been 16.9%, which is 4% higher than last year's figure, which again is a significant change. Like a 17 point, uh, a 17% K minus walk rate is a good, but not elite number, but that's definitely a number that we'll take from a pitcher. I mentioned that Bayo had a couple of results last year that were screaming for regression to hit. He had that sky-high BABIP, and he had that crazy low home run rate. So checking in on those, they have both pretty much done what I expected. The BABIP is sitting at a still high, but a more normal 323. But his home run to fly ball rate has way, way, way overcorrected, and it's currently at 25%, which is just plain silly and likely to drop. The home, I, I was looking at all the home runs he gave up so far this year, and it's been a combination of a few terrible pitches right down the middle, like you would expect. And then he also threw a few dec- decently located fastballs that just, you know, got hit by good hitters like Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Ronald Acuna Jr. Just better hitting than pitching, you know. sometimes that happens. I don't really see anything too alarming here, especially given his stuff and repertoire. I expect his home run rate to drop to reasonable levels, even if it never actually gets like actually what we would consider low. The reason I say this is because Bayo is fantastic at getting ground balls, like borderline elite. At the moment, among starting pitchers with at least 30 innings, the only pitchers who are getting a higher rate of ground balls than Brian Bayo. Are Alex Cobb, Logan Webb, Framber Valdez, and Marcus Stroman. Now, even among that group of elite ground ballers, Bayo is an outlier because A, he has a really high home run rate, which is not common for ground ballers, and he also has a 12% swinging strike rate, which is even more uncommon for ground ballers. Only Framber Valdez even comes close in that group at 11%. That leaves us with a pretty unique pitcher. And if there's one thing I love, it's a unique player because it just makes analysis fun. But on top of being unique, you can also squint and see a really good pitcher here, given some of the characteristics that Bayo has. All four of his pitchers have at least something interesting or positive going for them. And between the sinker, changeup, and fastball, he's getting loads of ground balls loads of swings and misses. The missing piece here for him is probably figuring out an effective breaking ball. His slider is the most underwhelming pitch in his repertoire and shelving it for something else probably would behoove him or even like reworking it or or just reducing the usage something. But even without figuring out a real good quality breaker I still think there's a good pitcher in here who will likely have a couple of blow-ups here and there. Because if his four-seamer command falters, it will probably get hit a long way. But he, he should be good more often than bad, and in general brings a fun and unique skill set to the table. It's kind of a shame that he pitches for the Red Sox. The Red Sox have the sixth worst infield outs above average in baseball. So they, they are the sixth worst infield fielding team in baseball per that measure. So it's a shame he doesn't pitch for like the Cardinals or something to take advantage of their double magic and strong defense. Uh, Bayo gets two starts this week, but it's a bit of a scary, uneven week because he gets one cupcake matchup in the Reds at home, followed by a really rough Tampa Bay matchup later in the week. In a weekly league, I probably wouldn't run him out there unless I was desperate for a two-start week, because Tampa is just that scary. And with Bayo's early home run issues and Tampa Bay's propensity for hitting home runs, that feels like a blow-up waiting to happen. I would absolutely be looking to add Bayo in just about any deep league, not just as a temporary ad, but as a long-term ad. I think he could be the kind of player that you add and hold on to all year long. As I I think he can be like comfortably a top 60 starter in baseball this year.
1: Yeah, I really dig that. I think this is, we talked about this before we recorded the episode that the kind of like the split between Braxton Garrett and Brian Bayo was probably the most interesting and fun thing that we covered in that episode with Mikey. I think right now where I stand because there's obviously some stuff that I'll talk about with Braxton Garrett later. This won't be a deep dive. This will just be like very quickly touching on him, but um right now I do still think that Bayo likely has a higher ceiling because if he does find a breaker, like he could be very 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 good. Um obviously like all he has is the slider right now. The slider giving up a 440 batting average so far this year. It's not good. Not ideal at no. all. Um, A bit concerning that uh, his hard hit rate has also jumped up a decent amount. Um, I believe it went up from, like, 30, it was 37.5% last year, and it's now up at 48.1%. League average is sitting right around 36. So he's 12% above league average for hard hit rate. That said, like Shubhsev said, though, a lot of ground balls. So a lot of that hard contact, while it does exist, and it's not necessarily ideal, it is coming on the ground as opposed to being lifted in the air. So the damage is being limited in that sense. So uh, a little bit of give and take there, but I do like Bayo still. And I think like Schweppes said, finding a breaker would be super huge for him. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be the slider, uh, if he's going to be able to like tinker with something in the off season, or if they're going to be still be just workshopping things throughout this season for him to work on. But um, he's really just like a couple changes away from being a really, really, really interesting option. So I do like this one a lot.
2: Yeah, and I'll never forgive Mikey still for choosing your team of four pitchers over my team of four pitchers from oh. that uh, that starting pitcher preview.
1: Oh my god, I pandered so hard. I pandered harder than anyone has ever pandered in their life.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, so, sometimes you got to be above it and I suffer want- for it.
1: I just I just want Mikey to I just want Mikey to think that I'm the prettiest girl in school.
2: You know what I mean? Yeah, who doesn't?
1: Yeah. Anyways, all right. Uh, we'll be back with my first deep or with my deep dive right after this break.
0: When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. And based on a sample of 4,272 Numers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today.
1: All right, and we are back. So after-
0: I love,
2: oh. Jordan, I, I love that- Every week, you still say my first deep dive, even though we've only been I doing know. one for two
1: months. I know. I can't. It's <laughs> it's just like muscle memory and force of habit at this point. I don't know why I can't get past that. Eventually, I will. Maybe. Maybe next year. You know. Maybe now I'll just do it every single week as as a recurring bit. That's what it is. There's it's always next year. Now. There's always next year. Um. But yes, for my one and only deep dive, I decided to rock with someone that I brought up last week as an option. Uh, someone that I put in as a backup bid to my uh, deep dive from last week, who, uh, whose name I'm not even going to bother mentioning because uh, he has been relegated to the minors. He's been sent down. Um, it's going to put up some fantastic numbers down there, though. Unfortunately, those don't, uh, those don't accrue in any leagues. Luckily, I did not get him in TGFBI. I was fortunate enough to actually have missed out on uh, the person that I did a deep dive on last week. Uh but my backup bid was Owen Miller of the Brewers. So I'm being a big homer here and talking about him. Um as it turns out, it was an awesome win for me getting Owen Miller instead of the other person that I talked about last week. Because he's already got two homers and a stolen base this week. And that's with three games still remaining in the home series this weekend versus the Giants. As of this recording, of course, we're recording on Thursday night, releasing on Saturday. Um so With Owen Miller, he's having a really, really hot stretch to start the month of May and has upped his average a bunch. We need to ask, is it sustainable? I want to start with the batting average part of this. So he's got a 400 batting average since the start of May, which has brought his season line all the way up to 346. I don't think that this is sustainable. Like, he's not going to be hitting 346 the entire season. His BABIP is in like the 91st percentile in the entire league right now. It's at like 370-something, just exceptionally high. Um, That said, I think there are clear changes in his swing decisions at the plate that have led to these positive positive results with his batting average. So he is making a career-high amount of contact. He's in the 91st percentile in the league with an 83.2% contact rate. And then he's striking out at a career-low rate at just 14.7%. That's 89th percentile in the league. And his career-best... 20.2 20.2 percent two strike o swing rate so swinging strike rate on pitches outside the zone or sorry uh chase rate essentially uh on two strike counts uh and 8.3 percent swinging strike rate overall are both career lows and a huge part of why he is striking out at a career low as well um again is he a 340 hitter probably not i think he's due for some regression the BABIP is going to drop a bit that said, I think the expected batting average for him so far this year is sitting just around 300, just over, I believe, at like 304. Um, he's improved a bunch, and I want to particularly highlight something that I found while looking at this before we started recording with Schwebzee. Uh, and it took me a bit to actually find this and find the angle with which I wanted to approach this, but he's just gotten a lot better at hitting fastballs. He was not a good fastball hitter previously. Um, last year with the Guardians, he played in 130 games. He only managed a 246 average against all fastballs. So that's sinkers, four seamers, cutters. This year, he's hitting 350. And while there is a large discrepancy between his expected batting average and actual batting average, his expected batting average has gone up 33 points compared to last year from 256 to 289 on those offerings. So again, on sl- uh, sinkers, four seamers, and cutters. Um, his consistency in putting balls into play, particularly as of late, has been a massive boon for his batting average as well. I do think the thing that I really want to highlight here, though, is the fact that basically he was very, very bad at hitting fastballs. I think the game plan for a lot of pitchers going into this year was we're going to feed him a lot of fastballs because he's not good at hitting them. And in today's game, a lot of pitchers are elevating fastballs. So high fastballs, specifically this year, this was the thing that Schwebzee and I found when we were looking at Owen Miller before the episode, he is hitting high fastballs super duper well, like both for a high average and it's also where he's posting his high, highest exit velocities on balls hit. Um, I think that was probably a approach change for Owen Miller and probably a focus for him in the offseason, knowing how poorly he was hitting fastballs. Keying in on hitting those high fastballs, I think has been the thing that has driven this high batting average spike. Um, So since he started the season as a bench bat with the Brewers, on like May 10th, he became a regular starter for them. Since that point, he's been a fixture in the lineup. He's only missed one game. He's been batting leadoff against every single left-handed pitcher the Brewers have faced in that stretch. And this upcoming week, the Brewers should see at least another two left-handed pitchers in Yusei Kikuchi for the Toronto Blue Jays and Brandon Williamson for the Cincinnati Reds. Um, his lineup spot versus right-handed pitchers is going to be a bit more sporadic. Uh, he's hit in every spot between 4th and 8th, uh, since May 10th against right-handed pitchers. But regardless, he should still see regular playing time every single day, um... The other thing that I really wanted to key in on, and again, this is something that I love to highlight with players, especially guys who are on the waiver wire in a lot of leagues, is that he already has first, second, and third base eligibility in pretty much every single league. But in NFBC leagues like TGFBI, he's just four outfield appearances away from gaining eligibility there. So you have a high-average super util bat with some stolen base upside here, because also something else that I wanted to cover too here is that in 113 plate appearances so far this season, Owen Miller already has five stolen bases, which is more than twice as much as he's had in the previous two seasons in Cleveland. So he's being more aggressive on the base paths here too uh, and taking advantage of this uh, getting on base more often with the high batting average. So uh, as far as a guy who's going to be eligible at potentially four positions coming up, he was literally rostered in 0% of TGFBI leagues as of last week. He's up to like 40, 42%-ish now, something like that. He only becomes more valuable the closer he inches to gaining that outfield eligibility. Um, I think the one wrinkle that I do want to throw in here when it comes to Owen Miller is that Luis Arias is about to start his rehab assignment and is going to be returning soon-ish. How is that going to impact Owen Miller's playing time? They play a lot of the same positions, like second base, third base. Is Bryce Terang going to sit on the bench a lot more often to clear more room for Owen Miller to actually play? Is Christian Yelich going to get bumped into the DH spot while Miller grabs more reps in left field? I don't know what's going to happen when Arias gets back from the IL, but I don't think that the answer is, let's sit the only dude has who's been able to reliably hit against left-handed pitching in Owen Miller. I think he's going to continue to play, and that's why I'm buying in on Owen Miller moving forward.
2: Yeah, I think you've, in general, had a pretty good sense of the Brewers' roster moves this year. Like You've correctly called out both Garrett Mitchell and Joey Weimer getting a lot more plate appearances than I expected. So I, I think you got a pretty good sense of uh how that's gonna shake out what i mean i kind of feel like joey weimer uh uh, jesse winker has to be the odd man out he's just been so rough
1: well well, that would be the thing winker's been struggling if you put owen miller in left field and have yelich dh Mm -hmm. like i don't don't think that happens every day right like i think that there's gonna be days where owen miller ends up playing second base uh terang sits because terang's just been okay as well like he's been nothing special as of late um he's just really valuable defensively i think that's something that you want to keep bryce terang at second base because he is so good defensively same thing with joey weimer being in center field right like he has his bat has been pretty and pretty anemic as of late
2: i God, right now winker is a strong side dh only player who has a 74 wrc plus that is that is what we that is what we call it TFA candidate in the functioning
1: baseball team world. Yeah. So I, I, I do think that Yelich ends up probably DHing a bit more, uh, because they want they, they end up wanting to get Owen Miller in. And that's why I think probably I would say like a week and a half, maybe two weeks from now, you're gonna see Owen Miller with that outfield eligibility in like NFBC leagues. He's already got it in a ton of different leagues. Like there's some places where it's only five games or like even three for some leagues, I believe. He's got 6 appearances so far this season. Yeah.
2: Can uh, can confirm. I added him uh, at, at your with, with from your advice I added him in my NL only league and I have enjoyed his very hot week.
1: Yeah, he's had a very good a uh, very good week. It was very nice to I mean, you don't usually see or expect that quick of a turnaround in terms of like positive results for a player but oh, like he literally I love had when it two, happens. He had, he had 2 home runs. Within the first like two or three days of this week, and then had a stolen base in there as well. Three for four game. Like he he's been very 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 good and very enjoyable to have on teams. And for someone like me, who's again, I reiterate this every single week. I am so bad at drafting batting average. I am the absolute worst at it. I try to go for like power and RBI upside. Typically, he has been such a welcome change.
2: Dude, folks at home, when. After Jordan and I record this podcast, the day after, if like the guys that we did deep dives on or or that we talked about at any length, if they have good days, just our group chat is just like those players names in all caps because we're so, so excited to have been right.
1: (laughs) It's just like, it's literally just like, I'm trying to think of a very specific example of someone that we've literally just, Uh, for me, it was Kutch. There was Cutch one time. I think you also just sent me like it wasn't even in all caps. It was just I'm gonna, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna scroll back. I'm gonna, I'm gonna find something. Let's see here. Uh, Braxton, Alex <laughs> Fado. Patrick Corbin, all just with exclamation points after. It's just messages with just last names with exclamation points afterwards that are all just thrown into our 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 uh, Discord chat.
2: It's we're we're taking our victory laps into each other's DMs because we don't want to do it publicly.
1: Because, I mean, we should just do it publicly. We're oh yeah, it, probably. I mean, we're I mean we're doing it right now publicly. We I mean at least I hope so. I'm, I hope people are listening to this. Um,
2: imagine promoting ourselves or actually trying to like improve our reach. <clears throat> I would never. You can
1: you, you you couldn't pay me to do that. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, we're going to go back into our league-wide roundup for other deep league targets uh, right after this second ad break. All right, we are back. So, Schwebzi, let's hop into this league-wide roundup now. Um, starting in the NL East, we got Atlanta, and Jared Schuster is the one person here that I wanted to cover. Uh, he had a really middling start uh, the night that we recorded this against the Phillies, uh, a Phillies offense that is trending upward. Um, he through five innings, had gave up seven hits, one walk, and four earned runs. He did give up nine hard-hit balls, which is not the best. Um, That said, I think maybe that tamping down the expectations for him and maybe the market for him, he does have a nice streaming opportunity next week against the A's. This is one start next week, so he is someone that I'm keeping an eye on for a potential add in TGFBI as he is available in my league. Um, and then also elsewhere if I want to stream someone, I think that Schuster isn't a terrible option uh against a very, very, very poor Oakland A's offense. So that's kind of where I'm at with uh Jared Schuster of the of Atlanta.
2: I was so mad when Schuster came up and had his really good start last week, because it was like he got sent down after his initial disappointing run, and the Braves were like Hey, 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 did you forget that you're a mediocre Braves prospect? You're supposed to be better than this. And then he came up and shoved.
1: He just came up and turned into, uh, oh gosh, what is this? Bryce Elder. Bryce Elder, there we go. I almost said it Bryce, uh, Bryce Wilson, <laughs> but he is now in the Brewers.
2: S- same thing, really.
1: Basically, yes. Uh, yes, that's all I have for Atlanta. I also, for Miami, uh, as we alluded to earlier in the episode, wrote a little bit about Braxton Garrett. So he had another solid start stat line wise against the Rockies today. Uh, this is Thursday that we're recording this. Um, he gave up two runs in five innings, but the fun addition for Garrett is that he has added a cutter to his pitch mix and it bodes well for him as another offering that can be more consistently thrown for a strike aside from his sinker, which has been hit around a lot more than last year. Um, while the cutter has been doing a good job of getting swinging strikes, it has also been hit decently hard. So it's a little bit of good and a little bit of bad here, uh, and that's a contributing factor to Garrett's increased barrel rate allowed, uh, as well as the considerable uptick in his ex-Wobicon, which has gone from 374 to 443. Um, his hard hit rate is also a whopping 48.5, similar to like Brian Baio, who we talked about earlier. Uh, which I thought was a pretty good parallel, because they might have almost the exact same hard hit rate so far this year. 48.1 for Bayo and then 48.5 for Garrett. So you do win this one, Chubbze. Um for And Baio. that puts him in, I believe, the bottom 7% of the league, and it's nearly 10 full points higher than what he had last season. It was like forty or sorry, 38.8, something like that. Um, All this to say, while the results have been okay as of late, I think the underlying data remains a bit worrying for Garrett, and I would like to see him give up less hard contact. Um, I would steer clear of him for now, unless you find him facing a team that's pretty weak against left-handed pitching, Um, namely teams like, I don't know, the Milwaukee Brewers who strike out at an absurd rate uh, against left-handed pitching. That might be a good stream for you, but... Uh I do still like Braxton Garrett but I do need to see some improvements before I fully buy back in.
2: I I think you need to take a lot of Garrett's stats with a big grain of salt right now. Oh yeah. Because we can't forget that uh at the at the beginning of the month he had his uh, just absolute decimation at the hand of the Atlanta Braves where he gave up 16 base runners and 11 runs in 4.1 innings that that one start will brutalize and ruin his all of his rate stats for I don't know another month at least yeah none of his rate stats are going to look good until you know we we get some more distance from that start and that includes like his hard hit rate like so I I you know, if if you're paying attention, you're not starting him against the Braves, so you avoided that. Even if he did have a decent uh, uh, appearance against them before that, so I am you know I'm not really worried about Garrett. I I do think he's going to be good from here on out.
1: Absolutely. Um. All right, let's go to your beloved New York Mets. Z.
3: Oh yeah. A uh, fun
2: fact about the New York Mets, the universe hates them. So from a team-wide perspective, they are fifth worst in baseball when it comes to expected results versus actual results. So their team-wide ex-WOBA is 15 points higher than their actual WOBA. They they tend to not get uh, a- as good a results as you would expect from the types of balls they hit. The reason I bring this up is because Brett Beatty is one of the hitters who is suffering the most from this team wide black hole of luck. Uh, Brett Beatty has a 367x woba, which would be good for 40th among qualified hitters, but his actual woba is 319, which places him 140th among hitters. Beatty is smoking the ball, and he is pulling the ball, which is important, and he's pulling the ball in the air, which is doubly important. He frankly just looks really good at the plate at the moment. I would hold him if you have him and add him if you can, because I really do think a breakout is coming. Uh, and again, I'm trying really hard not to be a homer. Uh, I, I, I had said that Francisco Alvarez is must-own in pretty much every league, and so far that looks like a, an okay prediction. So I, I feel pretty confident that, that Beatty will make me look good here as well. And then on the pitching side of things, Brooks Raley is back, and he is a saves-hold arm that you probably want. He's looked really good since coming off the IL, and he's already picked up a couple of holds. Trust me when I tell you that the Mets are desperate for a consistent bullpen arm, especially a lefty. So if Raley can stop giving up hits to lefties, which was weird, he should be able to lock down the seventh inning, or just high leverage versus lefty situations. Fun fact, Rayleigh has only pitched, uh, uh, I think it's like 12 innings this year, maybe less, and he's already given up as many home runs versus lefties than he had given up in the previous two years combined.
3: Stupid sexy Rays.
1: The Rays remain fantastic. Um, yeah, so I like mad at them all uh, the time. I, I like both of these call-outs, obviously, uh, with Bate. Schwabzi, you still interested in Beatty and our dynasty league that we're in?
2: I, I'm not taking this bait. I know you won't trade him to me because you're mean.
1: That's true. I will. Uh, okay, let's go to the Washington Nationals. We get a few names down here: uh, C.J. Abrams, uh, Jamer Candelario, and Patrick Corbin. Any I mean, feelings on any of these guys? I mean, obviously, the Corbin had a pretty decent start this past week. Uh, Candelario has been hitting for a solid average as of late. C.J. Abrams has shown to be a bit toolsy. Um. So-
3: believe it or not abrams has been the 57th rated hitter over the last 2 weeks damn okay.
2: he's so he's been kind of in that range for a little bit now he's been productive for a solid month now it's just he's doing it he's been like good more than great for any one stretch like the last 2 weeks for example he's hitting 250 which is fine with 3 home runs 2 stolen bases Six runs and eight RBI. None of that jumps off the page, but if you do that consistently, you're a great player, a great fantasy player. So, yeah, I I do like Abrams, especially in leagues where you have a middle infield spot, and you know, second base and shortstop can get pretty thin pretty quick if you if especially if you didn't focus on that position in the drafts, uh, and especially if you, for example, have Carlos Correa on your team and now are looking at a stretch without him cj abrams would be a great stopgap uh and then (laughs) candelario and corbin i feel like are are similar in that they're just like kind of okay veterans that i can't believe i'm saying this about corbin will not kill you and you can kind of slot them in as temporary uh waiver wire ads and they uh, I, i still think the floor is so low with corbin that it pains me to say this about him but he's He's coming off a of six straight quality starts. He his slider is looking fantastic. I roster him myself in a couple of leagues where I was desperate. So I mean, I I guess you know I, I I do I try to do the whole practice what you preach thing. I I wouldn't tell you guys to add Corbin if I wouldn't do it myself. I I think he's a cromulent Toby right now. I I wouldn't be, still be. God, I, I wouldn't be racing out to add him. But if you're in dire need of a starting pitcher. And he's the best guy out there. Don't be afraid to do it. He's been worth it lately.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, with Corbin specifically, he, yes, okay, yes, he has had quite a few quality starts. I think it's, he's had now what was today? Did he pitch today? Mm, I don't remember. The last time he pitched was Saturday that I can think of, and it is... Maybe he pitches today on Friday.
3: That might be it. Um, well,
2: Hunter Harvey got the loss today. So uh no, today was Jake Urban.
1: Yeah, I think I think yes, I think Corbin is tomorrow. Uh again, this'll be Friday. Uh the Friday the twenty sixth, uh that I'm referring to. But um he's he's not provided a ton of strikeouts necessarily in those starts. He's given up t- at least two runs in every single start so far this year. Like these are like not the best quality starts, right? It's right. going to come with like a little bit of that. He's giving up a ton of hits. I mean, he had one outing where he gave up only three hits and seven innings pitch. Um but then like you look at some of the other starts like six walks over six innings. Or sorry, uh six hits over six innings, eight hits over six innings, eight hits over six innings.
2: You know what this is, Jordan? This is Stockholm syndrome. I have been beaten into this state by the awful state of pitching this year, yeah, all the no, injuries, all the injuries, the just the environment where there's uh, the home runs have ticked back up. I am just I have been beaten to the point where I'm like, yeah, Corbin's fine, I guess.
1: I'm I'm begging for just like a pitcher with like a three seven five ERA because it will absolutely help me in TGFBI.
2: Yeah, I mean to to be fair to Corbin, his next start is at Kansas City, which is something that I would run out there.
1: Yeah. Alright. Yeah, I dig that. Um that's a pretty good matchup for him. Uh any feelings on um Candelario? Other than just like I mean, I think it like the counting stats aren't really that crazy impressive or like exciting to me. It's mostly just I think that, like, as an average bet, he's probably pretty good. He's hitting, like, I think 288 since the start of the month. Um, that, that volume is sexy. Yeah. The volume is always good. We will take the volume, especially in our 15 plus team leagues um, or uh, AL NL only leagues. So I do like that. But all right, let's go to the NL Central and talk a bit about the Chicago Cubs. What about Matt Mervis, Cubsy?
2: Well, the early barrel rate is sky high, but so is the K rate. And I mean, really, this is going to come down to which one drops first and which one drops more, I guess. He's not a priority target for me, but he's worth a shot if I'm looking for a change at first base, and especially if I need power, because, like I said, that barrel rate, woof, real high. Uh, if, if he's out there and available, I wouldn't mind taking him as a power flyer.
1: I dig that. Um, yeah, oh, gosh. Yeah, I don't know. For me, like someone who strikes out a whole bunch and like hits a bunch of home runs potentially somewhat enticing. Obviously, they also have like Christopher Burrell, who is now well with, outside the range of people that we can talk about, who is just having an absurd start to the season.
2: He is already falling back to earth like a rock. You can see it in real time. Mm,
1: yeah. I mean, I, you figure it's going to happen at some point. Um, it's kind of what happened with him last year, too. Mm-hmm. The exact same deal. But um, the other person that I want to cover, though, from the Cubs, uh, Mark Leiter Jr. Um, the ratios for Leiter, I mean, we've we've covered him previously, look incredibly enticing. He finds himself in a high leverage role now with the Cubs. That could potentially turn into more save opportunities. I know that Roster Resource has him listed as a co-closer with Edward Elzele. Um. He's got, I believe, a save and a hold in the past like four days. Uh, lots of high leverage innings for him. I think that lighter, considering how just effective he's been so far this year, definitely could be a really, really exciting and enticing option off the waiver wire to help you get some saves. So,
2: yeah. And a name to keep filed away in the back of your mind is Cody Hoyer. Who is on a rehab assignment and could factor into the Cubs' late inning situation when he comes back? But yeah, I, I have added Lighter in a couple of leagues where middle relievers are valuable. I, I I've been a fan. He's just his splitter has just reached like a never before seen level for him. It's been such a good pitch, and good. the I got to watch it uh, against the Mets the other day. He he looks real good right now.
1: He's been especially impressive. I mean, obviously, I don't know. There, I think there's value to be had with guys like this. Obviously, it, before he even has a chance at having save opportunities, um, like in this current um, pitching environment, what I was trying to say, um, having someone that can provide you those like really clean ratios is always very, very valuable. Um, and the fact that he's now going to be kind of in the mix for save opportunities only makes him that much more valuable um all right let's go to the cincinnati reds uh start with spencer steer Schwebsey.
2: uh i've never been wrong before but there's a first time for everything i i i think spencer steer might be a little bit better than i gave him credit for uh because he seems to be just be putting up a similar line that he did in the minors uh he seems to have not really missed a beat he started off pretty uh, a little slower than you would have liked but he is now showing that he can bounce back from a rough patch and we cannot forget about the great American small park, which, you know, can, can be a, a great equalizer when a player might not be as talented as you would like.
1: Yeah, it can be a little bit rough, uh, initially coming up, but he has been, uh, very solid as of late. Um, what do you, what do you have any sort of opinions on Ben lively? Cause I, I mean, I had no clue who he was coming up. I know his first two appearances, like he had pitched multiple innings, only had one strikeout in each of his first two outings. And then over these past two outings, eight strikeouts each, just this absurd slider that's gotten a 50 plus percent CSW in the last two starts. Like, it's really like what, like that, that's what he has is that slider.
2: Yeah. It's what he keeps falling back on when he gets into trouble and it's, frankly getting like incredible results yes so uh i don't know if this in- did did he start today
1: um
2: or was it yesterday
1: i don't know if it was yesterday i can't i, I, I think, think it
2: was yesterday
1: yeah it was yeah so like Wednesday, it would be wednesday as so, we're referring to but like he he played <laughs> it was against the cards uh two earned runs over six inning pitched and eight strikeouts again like i said it's the second game in a row that he's had eight strikeouts the slider is gross, and there's like tons of clips of him just destroying hitters, locating it exceptionally well. Uh his fastballs are not good. They're just not. Um The field is not that good. So, and
2: do do you know do you know
3: how many hits he's allowed on his slider this year?
1: I'm gonna say one.
3: Zero. <laughs> I was close. You were you were close. It's that got is, a- that is absurd. This sounds made up. It's got a sixty-three width percentage.
2: Now, Not the the I, one thing I the the one thing I would worry about here is like just looking at his pitch mix and like what he throws to what-handed hitters. I would worry down the line about maybe there being a platoon issue, uh, like a platoon split issue because sure. he doesn't like he doesn't really throw his slider too much against lefties and it's by just by far by leaps and bounds his best pitch. Uh maybe his changeup can pick up the slack against lefties. He seems to throw his changeup and curveball pretty much exclusively against lefties and they've done well enough so far, but I they are just not the pitch that his slider is. So I I wonder if he can have the same kind of success against
3: teams that can actually field a a lineup with a few strong lefties.
1: Absolutely. Um, the other pitcher that we wrote down here, just to kind of like keep in mind, was uh, Brandon Williamson. Five percent rostered. I'm personally not really interested in Brandon Williamson at all. I don't think there's enough upside f- for anyone to like really roster him. I'm mostly just waiting for Nick Lodolo to come back healthy, so I can talk about a Reds left-handed pitcher that I actually like. <laughs> um, Fair. Not really necessarily a fan of Brandon Williamson for fantasy. Um, so I'm probably going to pass on that. Uh, going to now my my Homer section and talking about the Milwaukee Brewers, the only thing that I really wanted to cover is like the Brewers' rotation is in complete shambles right now with all of the injuries that have hit that rotation. So you had like Ashby went up before the season started. Brandon Woodruff is on the 60-day IL. Jason Alexander went on the 60-day IL. You have Eric Lauer and Wade Miley that both went on the 15-day IL lower more likely to be back right after that 15 days is up but miley who knows what his recovery is going to be like he pulled a very uncommon muscle in his back i believe he had a strain of um so it's really unsure what the timeline will be like for him to actually come back um the starters that they have stepping in now um are going to have to do a lot of heavy lifting and take pe- pressure off the bullpen. Cause even the bullpen is a bit beat up too. Um, so you have Adrian Hauser, Colin Ray and Julio Tehran, who just literally just signed a deal with the Brewers the day before we recorded this, um, and made a start actually looked pretty solid. Um, Hauser's back from the IL and has had a, had a decent start in his last outing. Uh, you'll said Colin Ray, who just got his first win as a starter. in I think like five years, Or something crazy like that. Um, Ray is going to have the rotation spot until someone returns off the IL. And then I assume that Hauser and Tehran will be the other two that stay in the rotation. Um, Each of these guys over the next couple weeks is going to get a considerable amount of run. This is less a recommendation to pick up each of these guys than it is to pay attention to upcoming matchups. And if you find a stream that you like, go for it. Otherwise, I think most of these guys can just chill on the waiver wire, but I just want you to at least be aware that these guys are going to get volume because they are going to be getting starts over the next couple of weeks for the Brewers. All right, let's move to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, Talk about Johan Oviedo real quick. Again, the breakers are pretty solid. Um, He had another okay start earlier this week against Texas. uh, Gets San Francisco in San Francisco next. Um, I'm probably going to fade this one. San Francisco has looked a bit better offensively as of late. Uh, That said, I still do like him as a streamer against bottom-of-the-barrel offenses. The breakers are still very, very good when he actually does locate them. Um, So I like him a decent amount. I'm actually surprised that Oviedo is less rostered than Ruanci Contreras. Considering the yeah. results.
3: It's
2: close enough that I, I, it doesn't shock me too much, but I, I'm surprised that they have both wound up being such similar pitchers. Yeah. like I kind of thought Ruanci was going to wind up having an electric fastball, but they both wound up being these kind of like high-velocity fastballs that aren't actually good paired with like really dope
3: sliders
1: yeah pretty much i mean i didn't really think about how similar they were until you said that now now it's going to bother me i feel like they're i feel like the roster ship numbers should be identical
3: so the contreras do you think contreras gets a very 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 slight
1: bump because he's younger
3: maybe i mean uh contreras
2: was a much sexier prospect than oviedo was True. which probably factors
1: into it still in people's brains yeah i get that um what about going to the bullpen here? What about Colin Holderman, Bubsy? I,
2: I, I mean, you know this. I love when a player's last name describes them as a player. So clearly <laughs> I love a save-hold stud named Holderman. Uh, Holderman makes me really mad because as much as I love Daniel Vogelbach, who, yeah, fun fact, my wife's favorite baseball player is Daniel Vogelbach, who she refers to as Danny the Fridge for reasons unbeknownst to anybody <laughs> but her. Uh, I was so annoyed at the Mets trading a solid reliever with six years of control for basically half of a DH. And now here we are with Holderman providing a large, sturdy bridge to David Bednar. I, he, the man is six foot seven. He's a, he's a big boy, big boy, throw ball hard. Uh, he, he does throw like too, but no, he's a, he's a really, really solid holds guy. If he's out there and you're in a holds league, he shouldn't be. But if he is, he's worth an ad.
1: All right, let's go to the last team here in the NL Central, the Cardinals. I just wanted to cover Matthew Liberatore. Uh, He's almost assuredly confirmed to be getting a start against Cleveland upcoming here, who have been absolute, just for lack of a better term, booty cheeks against left-handed pitching so far this year. They have a 74 WRC plus as a team that's second worst in the majors, um, much like his debut against the Brewers, another team that's not great against left-handed pitching, I would be elated to stream him here. So if he's available on the wire to stream against Cleveland, I would happily do that and feel pretty comfortable doing it.
2: All right. I think we can get through the NL West pretty quickly. Uh, In Arizona, there is Gabriel Moreno, who... I, I've said many a time on this podcast, I, I like a lot as a batting average-focused catcher, which is not a super common archetype, and if your team needs batting average, it's, he's the rare catcher that can provide it. Uh, he's, a, he's a pretty easy one to cover. Over in Colorado, Nolan Jones is being promoted, which is something that a lot of drafted hold players are probably really excited about, but I'm not really sure where he's going to play. And it's the Rockies, so they just the Rockies just aren't going to do. <laughs> the Rockies are like the Bizarro Tampa Bay Rays, where like the Rays don't really do the lineup things that you want them to do, but everyone succeeds. And then the Rockies don't really do anything you want them to do with their lineup, and everyone is bad. Uh, Nolan Jones is a, is a really intriguing huge power. Oh God, I said huge. Huge power bat I'm glad that you pointed it it out
1: Because I was going to make fun of you if you didn't
2: Yeah, every now and then my New York sticks out Oh, wait, wait, Uh, time
1: on Okay, I have to circle back to something I know this is going to be so off topic I'm sorry to cut you off (laughs) Sure. Just so you don't get bullied by people online I need you to not say the second T in Toronto Okay When you pronounce it It's not pronounced that way by the locals Toronto? Toronto, yes Toronto
2: OK, e- easy. I don't I, I don't like you. pronouncing seconds. I don't like pronouncing consonants and words as as a
1: New Yorker. I'm just, I'm just uh, saving you the he- the uh, the headache and the tweets. Well, maybe the tweets. <laughs> I, I, I know that Justin is going to tweet at you about it.
2: Fair. Uh, But yeah, uh, Nolan Jones is a huge power bat who is absolutely destroying triple A and might be worth a stash. He is striking out less than ever. He is walking more than ever. All of that good stuff that you like to see in a prospect before they get brought up. And lastly, for the NL West, Bobby Miller made his debut, and it is probably already too late to add him. He is at 26% rostered, and that is in the uh, casual ESPN and Yahoo leagues, so if you're in a more competitive league, he's probably gone already. I was pretty shocked to see Bobby Miller throw only 30% fastballs, because... All of the ink spilled over him is about his triple-digit fastball velo. but his fastball kind of got hit pretty hard in his debut. So I'm wondering: does Bobby Miller have more of a Hunter Green fastball than like a uh, Mason Miller fastball?
1: Ooh, um, that's, I, a good, that's a good. That's a good. Uh, a good comp. I like that.
2: Yeah, it's it's a it's definitely a question that I have now. Uh, you know, when a guy has a truly good fastball. Like your Bryce Millers, your Mason Millers, your Spencer Striders, like it shows up immediately. Like hitters don't just easily hit those pitches. But anyway, I, I am still intrigued because it was a pretty mature pitch mix for, for someone with a 100 mile an hour fastball. So uh, I, I would probably still tr- prioritize adding Miller if I could, especially, you know, with the Dodgers pitching, develop mach- pitching development machine being what it is
1: agreed. Uh all right, let's go to the AL start in the, starting in the AL East. I'm going to cover a couple of pitchers for the Orioles real quick, Dean Kramer and Kyle Bradish. So, I'm personally out on Kramer, uh although the results of late have been favorable for his starts. He has allowed or he allowed 11 base runners and only gave up one run uh versus Toronto. And I just feel like most of this has been really fortunate scattering of threats that's led to no real damage for Kramer. I I'm fading him. I'm it's it's basically the same story with Braddish. The slider, which was something that we were hoping that he would throw more often, was actually the pitch that he threw the most in his last start, and it, I think it drew like a sixteen percent CSW. It was just not good. Um in his last start. I, I don't think that either of these guys are worth the risk for your ratios. Um really high whips on both. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna fade both of them and that's pretty much the story for that. Uh, Shwebzy, talk to me about Tanner Houck.
3: Well, Tanner Houck has
2: a 4.99 ERA ERA right now. He's better than that. The most interesting, like we, we all know what he brought to the table in previous years, right? And that is a filthy slider, a sinker that is good enough to show up on pitching ninja gifts every now and then, and then not much else. Well, Last year, he threw a split-finger fastball. He started working it in. He threw it about 6% of the time last year. This year, it's up to 12%, and has itself been making appearances on Pitching Ninja Gifts, which, you know, is, is not really a measure of success, but it does show that it can be a nasty pitch when it's on. Well, it is getting the results to match the nastiness of the Gifts, so it's really encouraging for Houck's future prospects and current prospects If there will still be a blow up every now and then. The splitter isn't perfect. The sinker is not the best. But when he's on, he's still capable of some fantastic starts. You know, we, we call this type of pitcher a cherry bomb in, in the pitcher list world. But I, I think he could be a pretty high quality cherry bomb when, uh, when this year is all said
1: and done. I mean, we, we all know that I was an early adopter of yes. like, Hauk. That, that was the first article I wrote for Pitcher List. So um i do like how and i'm rooting for him in that regard um but yes uh the blow-ups are something that i am not particularly fond of and which made me a bit gun shy with him in terms of drafting him this uh this year but uh all right i i had i had
2: some halk fatigue myself yeah
1: Um, so
2: all right jordan does the yankees bullpen make you as mad as it makes me mad
1: one day Peralta gave up two runs today and I'm so upset about it. <laughs>
2: is that a yes? I think that's a Correct. yes. Yeah.
1: I'm not going to. Yeah. I think we're both on the same page in terms of just like being kind of done trying to figure it out.
2: I, I think I'm reaching the point, And th- this is as a big fan of Ran Marinaccio. I just call them ran like, like, uh, like I'm from the Jersey shore. Ronnie. Uh, I think Michael King is the one guy that I still trust the most and I, I want to roster the most. But technically he is out of our range so we, we can no longer talk about Michael King. So we, can, can, we, can we start calling him like Michael King? Michael
3: King. Like, like,
2: like a heavy Michael Caine-esque accent.
3: Michael Kane.
2: I, I would like to do that. But anyway, we we can't because he's over 20%, so we we cannot do this bit that
1: I just came up with, which makes me sad. RIP uh, Michael kane Michael King bit 2023-2023.
2: 3.30 a.m.
1: bits are the best bits. Oh my God. Uh, all right, let's go to the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, you got Jose Siri and Luke Rayleigh here. Again, Luke Rayleigh, someone that I was very sad about. Like, the average, not great, but... The power is real. Like, he hits the ball very, very hard, he get, like, two taters the week after I released him from my TGFBI team.
2: Yeah, stop me if you've heard this one before. The Rays have some really talented players that they don't play often enough for fantasy managers. Jose Siri, since coming off the IL, has 74 plate appearances, and in those 74 plate appearances, has six home runs and three steals, along with 24 runs in RBI. That runs plus RBI. If he played every day, he would be like, yeah, and he kept up this production, which is obviously not a guarantee. He would be like, must roster in every league. But as it stands right now, he is sitting too much to trust. I'm actually shocked that Luke Rayleigh is rostered in only 4% of leagues. Like, he's got 10 home runs. He's got to be the only 10 home run guy rostered in less than 10% of leagues.
1: I would fact check that, but I'm too lazy.
2: Yeah, I'm too lazy also, so just pretend that's true, folks. Nailed it. Uh, <laughs> he's played four in a row, but before that had sat in five out of nine games. He is occasionally playing against his weak side. I, I can't make any sense of it anymore. Maybe the f- recent four in a row is the start of a trend, but it, maybe he'll sit... Three games in a row now. Who knows? Ray's gonna ray.
1: And then go to the Toronto Blue Jays and talk about Brandon. You, um,
2: uh, Justin, make sure you yell at Jordan because uh Jordan just hit that double T. Did I really? Oh my god. Sure did.
1: The Toronto Brand- Blue Jays.
2: <laughs> Toronto. Uh
1: talk Brandon Belt. Toronto Blue Jays.
2: Brandon Belt. A, a an in the deep favorite has only sat twice since May 6th, and in that time frame, a, a solid 20 days, has put up a casual 207 WRC+. plus. Jordan, can you tell me, is that good? A 207 I, I, WRC+. I would
1: venture a guess and say that, yes, that is good. That is
2: good. It is good. But you don't really get credit in fantasy for WRC+. And Belt has only hit two home runs in that time frame and is not stealing a base maybe ever again. So I, uh, I'm, I'm not adding belt yet until he shows some of his old power because this batting average is just not going to hold up. It's supported by a sky high unsustainable WRC plus, but because I respect and love Brandon belt so much, I am keeping a really close eye on this because I would, I want to see him succeed again.
1: All right. Uh, let's go to the AL central. Uh, let's start with Cleveland, uh, and Aaron Savali.
2: Yes, uh, I really hope no one in my TGFBI league listens to us uh, because Aaron Savali is going to be back from the IL soon and I think you should absolutely be jumping to snag him now before he has the chance to be healthy and and throw any major league innings again and remind people that he is good. That's it. He's good.
1: He's good. That's it. Uh, Let's go to the Detroit Tigers. Uh, Michael Lorenzen, he gave up three home runs in his last start against the Royals in Kauffman Stadium. I, d- I don't get it. Uh, that's wild. <laughs> um, I'm not really expecting that again, and he does get the White Sox two games in a row, or two starts in a row, I should say, which bodes well as a matchup for a competent right-handed pitcher like Lorenzen. Uh, the White Sox are like 26th or something along those lines against right-handed pitchers in terms of Team WRC Plus this year. So. I think that both those starts will be favorable ones for Lorenzen. And again, 4% rostered uh, between ESPN and Yahoo leagues seems like a pretty good value, uh, considering he had like, what was it, four straight very, very good starts where he gave up one run or less in his previous four starts. Just very, very good. So yeah, I'm in on Lorenzen uh, as a streamer against the White Sox. Um, Schwebzi, what about Alex Fayeto?
2: Another strong streamer, I think. I mentioned him last week as a boring Toby that might get you good ratios, and I I think my exact words were, why not, last week. Uh, But then he went out and struck out 10 White Sox players today, uh, cementing his spot as someone that warrants watching or adding. But his next start is against the Rangers, which is the hardest of passes for me. And it does not get much better after that, as he will likely see the Phillies after the Rangers. That is not a two-step that I want my iffy pitchers throwing against. So, um, yeah, I, if Faito is out there on your waiver wire, just let someone else add him right now.
1: Love it. And what about Spencer Torkelson?
2: Actually, another player in the Beatty mold who has gotten pretty unlucky so far this year he is looking better and better and it feels like he's on the cusp of a breakout. We never want to see a young player fail. So we're, we're pulling for torque. It's, it's fun when torque is, uh, is doing well because we get to make up stupid names for his home runs, like torque jerks. Uh, excuse excuse he's still me, a stash. You heard me. He's still I a did. stash. I
1: just can't believe what you said.
3: If you have the space to add Torkelson, I, I would do it. I hate it so much. Uh, All right, let's
1: go to Kansas City. Talk about them real quick. Uh, Michael Garcia.
2: Yeah, uh, he's another one kind of like Steer, who is performing as advertised so far in his career. Uh, He's not the most exciting player, but he could give you some exciting, or sorry, unexciting glue guy production. He's only sat in three games since the start of May, so the Royals are giving him every opportunity to succeed. And so far, he he has he has done just that. We will have to see if Nicky Lopez's return to health changes anything.
3: Michael Garcia kind of gives me uh, Josh Rojas vibes.
1: Josh Rojas? Yeah. That makes sense. I can see that. I can see, I like that comp. That's a good comp. Um,
2: Maybe a little less OB, uh, OBP. OBP? Yeah,
1: you know me. Uh... <laughs>
3: All right, let's go to what about Michael Massey?
2: In May, he has a 137 WRC plus, which I, I, I will not ask Jordan. I will just tell you guys that is good. I think I might be on board with this now. I, I was notably not on the Michael Massey train earlier in the in the uh, offseason and early this season, but he's coming around and he legitimately looks kind of good now.
1: Well, it's like well, it's like him and steer were both the type where they struggled a bit. To start the season, and then have kind of come into a groove here in May. I feel like.
2: Yeah, I just, I I think I was looking for some kind of standout tool from both of them, and yeah. it turns out they're just kind of both professional cromulent, okay hitters, and that that'll you know that'll play if you're getting everyday plate appearances. Folks, the cromulent
1: counter is at I believe three for the episode. For those keeping we should track do like home,
2: a. We should do, like, a Pee-wee's fun House every time I say cromulent.
1: Ah! Love it. Uh, ever word of the day. I like that. Uh, okay, speaking of... Like,
2: the uh, word of the day is always cromulent.
1: Speaking of people that make you go... I'm not going to yell again, actually. <laughs> I was going to, and then I didn't commit to it. Uh, Carlos Hernandez. Someone that probably makes you feel like that on the inside, occasionally.
2: I wanted Carlos Hernandez to be a good starter so badly last year. Yes, you did. And I, I'm pretty sure I, I had done deep dives on him. I probably made him a focus at the offseason. Yes. But then he had to go and get completely obliterated in the 2021 season and make me really sad in the process. Well, Carlos Hernandez is back, and now he's a reliever, and now his fastball averages 99 miles per hour. Averages. Averages. So uh, he might just be one of those pitchers that couldn't hack it as a starting pitcher and turns into an ace reliever. I, I've i already added him in a few places as a reliever because uh, a, a I'm a sucker, and B, he just looks straight up incredible. Uh, his slider is averaging 89, and it's getting better results than it ever has before, and he's kind of ditched his sinker to focus on a four-seamer, and like I said, he's he's throwing that four-seamer stupid hard. And similar to the sinker uh slider, similar to the slider, getting better results than ever before.
1: Love it. Uh I did write down Zach Grinky's name here because, like the results as of as of as of late, uh specifically recently, have been pretty solid, like five plus innings, uh, no more than three earned runs allowed in his last five starts. Um
2: I, don't, I wrote Zach Granke down just because I like to think about Zach Grinky sometimes.
1: I don't, I don't know how to handle this because he's been decent. Like I think about the start, what was it, like five or six starts ago or something like that? He threw five innings. He had 44 pitches, and then he got pulled. Just after 44 pitches. Five, five shutout innings, no less.
3: Zach Granke is like Patrick Corbin, except I don't hate myself when I add him.
1: Yes. <laughs> I was trying to come up with something more clever, but basically, yes, that's how I feel as well. Um, let's go to the Minnesota Twins last team here for the AL Central. Uh, Louis Varland covered as Shrubsey's deep dive last week, was That just last week.
2: I think it was two weeks
3: ago. Was it
1: really? Who'd you cover last week then?
3: Oh, uh, I don't know. Am
1: I crazy? I'm taking crazy. No, you, you covered him last week. That was last week. Yeah, you're right. Everything blends um, together. That's true. Time has it no it meaning. All, it all bleeds to, yeah, time is a flat circle, so on, so forth, call. Um, but yes, Varland, uh, the Velo needs to be there, but, uh, I know, like, if you really want to hear, like, the full breakdown, you can pretty much just go back and listen to last week's episode, listen to Schwebzy cover of He's got kind of a rough stretch of starts coming up. Um, I feel like he faces Toronto. See, I didn't do it that time. Um, and, oh gosh, there's two other really good quality offenses that he's lined up to face at his next two starts. Houston. Houston, there we go. That was the other one I was thinking of. Um, not great. Kind of nervous about those.
2: Um, and, and he is matched up against Gaussman and Hunter Brown, which kind of hurts the, 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 nah, the win pass. potential there.
1: Pass. No, thank you. I'm out on those. Um but yes, Varland upside is there. Just wait it out a little bit. Um Willie Castro, he's getting enough enough uh, plate appearances to matter and he's hitting two eighty three since the start of May. The uh batting average obviously always encouraging, helpful in this uh current um environment in terms of hitters. Uh average is hard to come by.
2: You know, I always think it's funny where I draw my line for like allowing myself to be fooled again and not and for some reason, Willie falls on the side of the line where I'm like, I'm not getting fooled by <clears throat> Willie Castro again. I don't. I, I couldn't tell you why, folks, but I'm
1: not getting, I'm not adding him anywhere. Okay. What about Kyle Farmer? Because now with Correa being out, he's going to be playing at shortstop. I think every day.
2: I just I have like nightmares of a time in I want to say 2021 where like some like someone like almost took a past me in a roto league for first place, like just on the strength of like a bunch of 40 year old pitchers, like Adam Wainwright And like Kyle Farmer, just going insane. Uh, and that's just a lot of words to say that I don't like Kyle Farmer, but I think he's fine and is worth a roster spot in, in, in like 15 teamers. And I think he'll, he's good for that type of format. He's not just worth rostering.
1: Love it. All right. Uh, Joey Gallo on here, too. We want to touch on uh, just the, the very standard classic big ball, big boy, hit ball, hard, make ball go far. Um, remains true. It would be really, really cool if his average was an absolute dog water.
3: Yeah, uh, would be
2: nice. That's not who he is.
1: Not who he is. Um, and then the last one for the twins, Alex Kirloff. Uh, again, strong side platoon bat. He's going to be hitting near the top of the lineup when he is in there. Uh, just be conscious of if they're going to be facing a heavy stretch of left-handed pitchers. Uh, be prepared that he's only going to get a couple starts that week, maybe, and just sit him. Um, but yeah, all right, let's go to the AL West uh, and start with the Angels. uh Shubzi, you wrote down Mickey Moniak.
2: Well, one quick thing about the twins before we pass before we move oh, on sure, from yeah. them uh edward julian is also an interesting player there but the twins are a very aggressively platooning both Kirillov and julian to the point that they will start one of those players and if a lefty comes in in like the third inning they'll they'll take that player out in the third inning uh i i don't really agree with that treatment of those players but that's what they're doing so be especially mindful of the other team's pitchers when you're using uh, twins right now. Uh, And yeah, so moving on to the AL West and Mickey Moniak. Moniak has already set a new career high for max exit velo by almost two and a half miles per hour, which is pretty significant. I want to see better plate discipline before I start singing his praises, but the former number one overall pick is kind of demanding the fantasy world's attention right now he he's doing some really loud things on the stat sheet and uh, i i'd be adding him just to see if he can maintain this then uh kind of the opposite a star a, a star prospect who started slowly this year uh zach Neto, i mentioned last week he's trending up and that hasn't really changed his hard hit rate continues to rise and honestly, it's just so impressive that he's so fresh out of college and doing what he's doing, and you can see him, like, learning in real time and becoming a more effective major leaguer in real time. Uh, I have him in my AL only league, and I'm I'm kind of enjoying watching him develop. Uh, and then lastly for the Angels, there's Jamie Berea, who had a really good start in his first start of the year, but frankly, I'm not super interested. Uh, I actually want to see who his next start is against before I completely write him off. Uh, he, oh, actually, actually, Actually. he gets the white, he gets the White Sox next. (laughs) Almost every pitcher with a pulse is an auto start against the White Sox, so I think I would run him out there for that start, uh, if, if you need a stream.
1: Also, for what it's worth, it is Jaime. Jaime, gotcha. But, yes, um. I would agree with that though. Obviously, like facing the facing the White Sox uh, for right-handed pitchers in particular uh, looks pretty solid right now. So I would be happy to do that as well. Um, what about Oakland and J.P. Sears?
2: Yeah, this is the rare, barely rostered player who actually seems to have an effective fastball. I, I'm kind of yeah. interested in him for that reason alone, but he's actually got at least a 25% whiff rate on all four of his pitches, or at least he did before today because he just came off of a weirdly effective start today where he only got three whiffs against the Mariners and still kind of had a successful start. Baseball is dumb. (laughs) That home ballpark though is also dumb, but it's fantastic for pitchers. And uh, I've added Sears in a couple of leagues because he's intriguing. He's, he looks like he could be an effective pitcher this year. And uh, speaking of Seattle, they have uh, their own interesting development in Jose Caballero, who I I don't think he was on anybody's radar before a few weeks ago. I know I butchered that pronunciation, but uh, he is demanding that we pay attention to him because he's just been incredible, and his peripherals actually back up his strong numbers so far. The realist in me doubts that he can... Keep this up, and I, I, the everything in me says that he will not hit 10 home runs this year, even if he gets full time plate appearances. But, uh, I, I think he will have to continue to run like crazy to have any sort of fantasy value. But, I mean, that's all about intent, and he's had the intent so far.
1: Um, all right, let's go to, I believe, the last team Texas Rangers and Leody Tavares, Schwabs.
2: Yeah, I, I've definitely written Tavares off in a previous episode by saying that his hot streaks come and go. But at this point, his hot streak has now lasted long enough that I have to pay attention to it. So I'm sure, like, starting tomorrow, he'll fall off a cliff because now I've said that you should add him. But uh, he's got a career low strikeout rate by almost 5% and a career high hard hit rate to match. That tells me that if he can keep doing what he's doing, he might actually be able to hit for a decent enough average to pile up some steals and get you some counting stats in that really dope Rangers offense. Elite defense is going to keep him in that lineup, so you know all he, all he really has to do is keep putting the bat on the ball to have some fantasy impact.
1: Absolutely. Awesome. All right, I think that's going to be it for this week's episode of In the Deep. Thank you all so much for joining us once again. We appreciate it. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, we do have a shared podcast account. That's going to be at in the deep PL. And then we also have individual Twitter accounts that you can follow us at. It's going to be at Schwebzy for Schwebzy. That's S-H-W-E-B-S-I and then Bunt Singles for myself. And we'll be back next week with another episode. Schwebzy, send them out. Bye, friends.